whenever I have a leader that, that I've worked with that tells me that, that this is not possible and there's no path, when you say it's impossible, do you mean that nobody could do it or that you're just not sure what to do to get there? If I can't move them off that perspective, I know I need to find somebody who believes it is possible. Because That's right. They ha they cannot lead if they, if they do not see the possibility. Hey there, friend. This is Stephanie Crevins, and you are listening to the Mid-Level Leaders Hot Mess Hotline, where we share C-Sweeters hot messes, you know, those icky, political, unexpected, scary business stories, and how they got out of them so that you, as an ambitious leader who loves to learn, can learn from their mistakes. Don't learn the hard way. Learn from these successful leaders processes and struggles and self-coaching questions so that you can use them too just as soon as you get done listening to this full episode. On today's episode, we have Tony Newcomb. He is the Chief Technology Officer of Active Campaign. He leads the technology and product at this fast-growing, hyper-growing company and works to set the vision for these teams. Previously, he was the Senior Vice President of Engineering at Salesforce, where he was responsible for building products in the marketing cloud. Tony joined Salesforce through its acquisition of Exact Target, where he spent several years building a number of products for them. Not only has he been a successful senior vice president and CTO, he has been nominated for and won several awards, including the INITA Million Dollar Award for Key Technical Achievement, an Outstanding Technical Contributor Award, and both a Compass and Leading Orange Award for leadership accomplishments while at Salesforce. I have found my conversation with Tony to be incredibly insightful. He is such a positive force in this world, eternally optimistic, and really generous about why and how people show up to work, with, which I think is a prerequisite for any leader. You know, he really believes in the capability of his people and those that work with him. And I think that is to be applauded and certainly a key part of his success. So in today's episode, we are talking about several layers of hot messes that Tony has experienced through his career because they're all interconnected. And while they seemed to be about simple practices, simple new habits, they never are. Getting an entire company on board with new processes is never as straightforward as we think it is. So let's dig into this conversation with Tony Newcomb of Active Campaign. All right, Tony, let's talk about some of the hot messes you found yourself in as a leader over the past several years as, as you've led a hyper growth company. I love those words and the lessons that you've learned. So tee up for us a good, a good juicy one that's come to mind lately. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, first off, thank you for having me today. This is very exciting to be yeah. here uh, sharing some stories. Hopefully people will find some value out of it. You know, one of the challenges that I think is, is persistent as a leader is the need to drive change uh, through the organization. So whether we're pivoting on a roadmap or uh, putting in new process or uh, even just changing the way in which we communicate with each other, because mm -hmm. when we you know, if you think back, like Active Campaign is, is a, a rocket ship of growth where it was not that long ago, everyone sat in the same office and could look at each other and alignment just kind of happened informally. Mm. We now have over a thousand employees. We have offices in, in several countries. We have customers all over the world. 
And that requires us to rethink the way in which we communicate with each other, the way in which we plan, uh, what a planning cycle even means changes over time because now we have, you know, we have a CMO, we have a chief customer officer, we have uh, departments where before we had people. And so, uh, you know, it just, it just requires us to get aligned together in a much different way. And I can tell you when you don't have that alignment, it, it's very uh, painful. Yes, <laughs> so, absolutely. Um, it is. <laughs> absolutely. And we've had, we've had some, I've walked, I've walked us into some of those hot messes, frankly, where. Oh, good uh, job. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I, mean, well, uh, I, I, uh, my, my largest flaws. I'm human, and so um, you know, I think how it that, goes. That is how it goes, and and so you know, as an example, we were really trying hard uh, to to get our product uh, team and our our engineering team to understand, and um, you know, where are we trying to take the company? What is the vision? Uh, what is this concept of customer experience automation? Uh, you know, and we have customers all over the world using customer experience automation today mm-hmm. um, to great results. And, and they're automating all sorts of interesting processes uh, across, across the board. And yet um, that would not be possible if we hadn't, you know, if teams couldn't fundamentally understand what we're doing is more than the feature that you're working on, what we're mm. trying to do and why customers need the, the software uh, extends beyond that. And I think that even more important um, than that is making sure that we have a way to tell our customers that when we just ship something, this is now available. Um, you know, so there's like this, this pretty large uh, swath of people that need to understand what we're up to. One of the challenges we've had is we, we didn't have a great roadmap. You know, if we go back, uh, we, our roadmap was, was fairly informal. Uh, we tried to pivot really hard heading into 2020 one, I think it was 2021, the year uh, since COVID, the years have just gone by. Yes. Time uh, has no meaning anymore since COVID. It yes. has no meaning, but, but we really pivoted hard and we started to use a tool to start documenting our roadmap. And we we're really trying to get into like a product requirement document sort of um, mentality. Well, the challenge is we rolled that tool out like over the holiday and we're like, okay, we're going to enter the year with this new tool. Let's get going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we used it for maybe a month, month and a half, pretty consistently. And then adoption just tailed off. Yes. And, and unless we were following up with people and really asking, hey, can you get that in there? Can you get that in there? It wasn't sticking. Um, you know, and I think that's part of just what's hard about change is that it needs to become a habit. And depending on, you know, what you read, so it's somewhere between 20 days and 70 days where a habit truly sticks. And I think yes. that we, it, it just takes a lot of effort and energy. Once we had the roadmap in place, we realized, well, wait a minute. The roadmap's product oriented only. Now we need to get engineering into the roadmap. We need to get mm. the roadmap. And yes. so I, I point to the roadmap because for a product a SaaS company, it's our number one best document to really align everyone towards what are we trying to achieve and how are we going to get there. And it, it's cross-functional. Every department in the organization really needs it. So I think the roadmap was both a solution and a hot mess because we, we walked into, into the year underprepared. We had stuff in JIRA, which is like a, a system to document work. Yes. We had no higher level view. And that was really, really painful. So, you know, that, that was a difficult transition to just get people on board with one, the idea that we do need to kind of consistently align on how we're, we're doing things. Because previously we were doing just fine. 
not doing that. So you have to convince people that, no, no, this is the next step of our evolution. Yes. Uh, the change is necessary. Well, question for you, and this, this is partially for my own edification and partially for my non-IT friends, because I work with a lot of IT teams that use this roadmap language. Mm-hmm. For those of us who aren't familiar with that tool, what is a roadmap? Great, great question. So imagine if you were taking on a project uh, and the project could be really anything. So uh, here at home, a good example could be maybe you want to put a fire pit into your backyard. Uh, but if you think through like, well, what would be the roadmap to getting the fire pit, right? Mm-hmm. Well, one, you're going to need to identify some requirements, like how big do you want it? Do you want it made out of stone? Do you want it to be metal? So like that, that kind of starts becoming your roadmap. And then it's like, well, are you going to do it yourself? Meaning, do I need to go to a store and secure the materials myself? Am I going to have those delivered? Uh-huh. Um, you know, you, you kind of just start mapping out your plan to achieve your outcome, which in that case would be, I want a place to gather with my friends and family around a fire pit in my backyard. And so even that example where I think all of us could kind of relate and say, okay, well, that's the outcome I want. The roadmap is the, the definition of how you get there. Um, you know, so your vision may, may be in that situation, the, the great evening you're going to have with all of your friends and family, mm-hmm. uh, and all, the, all the cool conversation you're going to have around that that enabling, you know, enabling feature of your house. And yet you have to have a plan to get there. The same is true with software, right? So if I, if, if we know our customers are having trouble with a problem, like a, a good example, uh, one of our customers, the laundry lady uh, out of Australia, the problem that um, she was running into was her business is an on-demand laundry service, meaning you, you can schedule someone to come to your house. They'll pick up the laundry. They'll take it away. They'll do it for you. And then they'll return it, pressed, folded, you know, you're good to go. Oh, so she's doing the Lord's work is what you're saying. That she, sounds glorious. She really, <laughs> she really is. Well, and, and she, she's providing employment to uh, folks in, a, in an independent contractor form. Well, the challenge she had is she needed to, at scale, run a recruiting, uh, you know, recruiting and, and onboarding pipeline. Okay. And the tools that were available to her either didn't fit her use case uh, or were too expensive. And so she was really looking for a solution to automate that. And that's what, that's what Active Campaign does. And so, you know, our roadmap at one point said, people are going to bring to us unique challenges where they're going to need to be able to track people across stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to be able to understand how, is, how are they progressing across their journey and, and really tie in the data. And so we're past that part in our roadmap now. She's doing that very successfully with our platform, but it was a roadmap that allowed us to get there. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I feel like, so if I heard you, two separate thoughts here, pardon my extroversion there, but so two separate thoughts. So what I heard you say a roadmap is, it's you identify the requirements. So what do we want? What do we want? What are the features? What are the benefits? What do we want it to look like? Uh, how does it get done? So, and what are the resources we need to bring to make it happen? What are the results and the outcome that we're looking for? And the definition of then how do you get to those results and outcomes? Because, you know, when we use the, when we say, oh, well, we want a fire pit in our backyard, we're probably all picturing something very different at this stage of the game. And so we have to come to some common agreement. Okay. So what kind of fire pit is it fed by like a, by the gas line from your house? Is it fed in some other way? You know, does it have an ignition switch or not? Do you need to get out the little 
lighter thingy every time you want to use it or not, right? Like you have to define all of that. And then how do you get it done? Are we picturing we're bringing in a fancy contractor that can do all of that? Or are we bringing in, you know, something much more simpler? Are we going to the big box store and buying the fire pit that we put together? Like those are all questions that when you answer them at the beginning of the project, you save yourself about 3000 headaches versus Hey, wifey. Hey, husband. I want a fire pit. Yeah, me too. Let's go. And then you head down two totally different directions. And I don't mean one person heads to Lowe's and one person heads to Home Depot. I mean, one person heads to Lowe's. The other one starts calling all the the folks on the online clearinghouse for home contractors. That's a hot mess all in of itself. When you apply that to the workforce, shoo doggy, do you open up a whole can of worms? Because everyone's expectations are not being met. They get missed because you didn't take the time at the front of the project to define the roadmap. And the roadmap sounds to me like a more contemporary tool than the old timey plan. Like the plan just wasn't robust enough to take into consideration all the things that could go wrong, given the rate of change in our current work environments. Yeah. Did I get that right? That's spot on. What's interesting is that everyone, I I generally operate from the theory that everyone wants to do a good job. Absolutely. Absolutely. They do. They do. And so you have, you have, especially now now the organization's a thousand people. You have a thousand people who show up every day and want to do a good job. And if they're unclear on what that means for that day, I mean, forget about the roadmap for a minute for that day. If they don't understand what they need to do that day to get to that result. Yes. They're going to be frustrated. They're not going to be happy there. And rightfully so, because they're, they're, they're showing up wanting to do a good job and they want to end the day knowing they just did a good job. And so, yeah. you know, I think as leaders, it's important that we all understand that our primary job is to, is to optimize that day for everyone. because there's nothing we can do about work that's going to happen in the future. And there's nothing that can be done about what's already occurred. So the only day that really matters in the history of, of anything is right now, right? Like this moment right now yes. is the only thing that matters. Yes. And so plans are great, but if we're not executing to the plan today or we're not doing everything we can right now, as an individual, we're not going to get there. But as a team, we're definitively never going to land where we think. And so I think that's where we had a mess on our hands. We, we had good stuff, but as far as like getting the entire organization aligned behind it, it was, was really, we were falling short. And so we put a lot of energy into that. And then once we got the roadmap, uh, we recognized, well, wait a minute, this roadmap's not unified. It's not across all functions. It's not yes. it's a fantastic place to be because now we have something that we can build, you know, and improve on and take to the next level and make it even more effective for people. And so that, that just shows like how, how, you know, getting a little more organization I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, process makes me uncomfortable uh, because we're, we live in an innovative world and we don't, we don't want to box everything in and say, well, this is exactly how we're going to define requirements this is exactly because you're going to end up assembly lining innovation. And I think innovation is a lot more organic than that. You need to, you need to have space for ideas to create uh, themselves or, or for people to ideate and, and find those ideas. We don't go down, we're not creating a waterfall process where we want to get everything defined up front. Like we still want to give that level of autonomy to the teams to say, hey, we know, we know customers are struggling in these areas. Therefore, let's go solve those problems for them. Let's create more value in their lives. Mm -hmm. 
we see these opportunities in the world and we think we can capitalize them in this way, but help us get there. You know, and I think that's really the. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and those, oh, so many questions. And I was taking some notes because I want to write this down and make sure that this sticks with me moving forward too. So as a leader who has to set big picture strategy for the long term, how do you balance that with executing a successful day? Yeah, it's a great, great question. It's actually a privilege to be able to think about the long term. Mm. If you're not winning the day, you're wasting your time worrying about next year. Absolutely. So you've got to get the fundamentals in place first. So we do things like what we call the six-week cycles or six-week check-ins, where every six weeks, our product and engineering teams do two things. One, they commit to what they, they intend to achieve over the next six weeks. And explain how that's aligned to the plan. So we're, we're staying in, in sync on the roadmap and sync on our plans. But then they also report back to each other on the, here's how the last six weeks went. Here's what went well. Here's what didn't go well. Here are adjustments that we think we need to make. That cycle also allows us to break away from, okay, well, how do we, how do we know today's the right focus, right? Because now we know roughly over the next month, month and a half, are we pointed in the right direction together? Yes. And of course, over time, you're going to drift away, but then we come back together every, every six <laughs> weeks. Every six weeks. <laughs> and we align <laughs> yeah. on our understanding. Yes. Um, and that allows us to identify things. Like we've seen projects and, and things that we wanted to do take much longer than we expected. Well, when you really start drilling in and you start asking questions, and I, I believe every leader should live in the details. And, and so I live in the details myself, but you start looking for evidence of, okay, well, who's actually working on this project? And, and you'll get interesting answers. Well, this team and this team and this team. And then you'll go to the teams and say, hey, can, what are you doing for this project? And then they'll tell you like what they need to do for the project. And so, well, that's not the same answer. or That's not really the answer to my question. I understand what you need to do. What I'm asking is, what are you doing? Oh, <laughs> damn, so, Tony, yes. Yeah. yeah, and I think if you start asking those questions and really immerse yourself in the details, you'll understand why your projects aren't getting done. Uh, because yeah. you'll find that what people are doing, and they're not doing it maliciously, they're not doing it because they're bad employees, they're not doing it because of anything, you know, below the line. They're, you know, if, if you if, if you think it's about not it, malicious, no, it's no. not. But no. It, it is. They're doing what they think is the right thing. The challenge is that just to me shows a lack of understanding of well, why why. Why is it that we need to get to this point? And, and why is it that this is important for you to, to prioritize? Because otherwise, if you're not careful, your organization will end up vetoing a lot of your most important priorities. Uh, and it won't be like a, uh, something where they disagree that it's important. It'll just be in, in the day, the work won't occur. And so, you know, I think that's, that's a very uh, interesting challenge that I've seen in, in many, many organizations. And it's something that as a leader, the only way I've really been able to trust but verify is, is one of my favorite phrases. Like, yes, yes you do it. And yet I also, as your leader, need, need to follow up and just understand, well, did we get it done? How are we doing? Show me. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've asked somebody to show me and, and you can't find it. And then you realize, oops, we've got a bit of an issue. So, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. I love where this conversation is headed. And, you know, I'm just I'm just picturing all the layers of, I'm going to use the word complexity that change brings up that 
we have to be in as leaders to make sure we're successful. I want to go to commercial break. And when we come back, I want to explore with you this topic because what you're saying is, is counter to what I think most leaders are taught and it's leaders, your, your, your perspective is leaders need to be in the details and most leadership theory development says, get out of the details and delegate. I want to dig into that with you when we come back. Sound good. Sounds great. All right, let's do it. While we're taking a break from this episode's hot mess, I want to talk about one of the hot messes that I know you have, and that's your meetings. Friends, one of the biggest complaints that we have in our businesses is either about the amount of meetings, how long they are, how worthless they are. And my perspective is that your meetings are your most expensive use of your team's time. That means they also need to be the most valuable use of your team's time. And instead, right now, too many of your meetings are spent with just status updates where they could have been an email or the mansplainer that talks and says a that talks a lot, but doesn't say anything. Or the person who shows up and says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't get this done. I'm sorry, I didn't get this done. So then why are you meeting? So instead of leaving your next meeting, feeling deflated like Eeyore, I want you to feel like Bruce Lee and kick in some major ass. So that's why I've created this tool for you. It's called Lead Kick-Ass Meetings, and you can get it at stephaniecrevins.com forward slash lead cake ass meetings. Get it? And it is full of templates, agendas, and icebreakers that you can use. Just copy and paste, plug and play so that your meetings become an investable use of time for you and your team and your company. I chose these three areas for your meeting specifically because they're usually the tools that are most likely to go off the rails for any leader and you need something that's plug and play. You, you, you know, most folks complain that an icebreaker is too cheesy. I've got icebreakers for you that are worthwhile and create connection. Most folks complain that an agenda either doesn't exist or it's so vague, you have no idea what you're talking about. I've got agendas for you that are useful from the get-go. And I've got some templates and tools and processes that you can use. Again, just send it out to your team to make the meeting as valuable as possible. All right, my friend, that's what I have for you. I want your next meeting to be worth a million dollars, right? Um, it's costing your company a lot of time and money. It's costing you a lot of frustration. Lead kick-ass meetings. Go over to the landing page. It's just stephaniecrevins.com forward slash lead kick-ass meetings. Put in your email. You'll get that tool delivered right to your inbox. And you're going to be a meeting hero as soon as you put those into practice. All right. Now let's get back to this episode's hot mess. You're providing so many counterpoints to like traditional leadership stuff. I think it's fascinating. I love it. uh, Well, you know, I don't know that I'm completely misaligned from some of the traditional thinking here. I think that Mm -mm. let's not confuse uh, being aware and and immersing into the details with delegation, because I think that the other thing I would say here is that like, I'm not doing all the work. In fact, I'm not even trying to necessarily control, not even, I'm not really even controlling the details of you doing the work. And yes. As a leader, if I'm not aware of where, like, here's a good example. So when a customer uh, experiences an issue, they can call into a support team, 
Yes. Sport teams then ultimately in, in every organization at some point that lands into an engineering backlog as, a, as an either an agreed upon defect or not. And if it's something where we all agree that yes, the software should be changed to work in a different way, those things get assigned a priority and then those priorities get worked into backlogs and then that gets delivered ultimately back to the customer. And so you shouldn't have thousands of these things sitting around or you're never going to be able to understand it. And so for, for an active campaign is an example. And I did the same thing when I worked at Salesforce uh, and, and an exact target prior to that. Mm-hmm. The only way I've really had been, been able to effectively lead through that is by reviewing each of those defects myself, really and truly understanding what is, what, what is going on with the system. Because if, if you don't know where your pain points are, how do you even know that the decisions were made along the way to set the right priority. If you don't, if you're not looking at that, how are you even going to coach someone so that they can set the right priority the next time it happens? Right. And so I think that the details matter. It's just something that, that I also, our, our CEO shares this. So there is not an NPS score or a cancellation or a comment that gets posted that our CEO doesn't personally read. Oh, wow. Wow. And, And you can bet if, if my boss, our, our founder and CEO, Jason, is reading all of that, all of those signals, I am as well, right? And I think that in every design NPS that comes through, every, it doesn't actually matter. I've read every one of them. And so what's interesting is that you learn some things when, when you're doing that. You know, you, you learn what are people really saying? Because when you talk to a person, we, you know, we have 150,000 plus customers at this point, and, and they're all over the world with all, in, in every industry, effectively solving all sorts of things in different ways. So if you talk to any individual, you're going to get a perspective from, from that viewpoint. But when you start taking all of those signals in, you get a real feeling for what's going on. And I think that there just is no substitute for the details and and you know, saying, um, and, and I hear you, like there a lot of uh, the philosophy is to just say, no, delegate, but then you're also kind of leaving your team on an island. And then at what point are you providing value? You know, and, and yeah. so I, I don't go into teams planning meetings and say, you're going to go do this. You're going to go do this. You're going to go do this. When I was a manager, absolutely. Right? I would talk to the team and say, what do we need to accomplish? Mm-hmm. All the things we need to do. Okay. Who thinks we should work on what? We'd stay in sync. We'd, we'd make sure we did that. When I was a a director where I led teams that were led by managers, I would have similar conversations of like, what are the big things we need to move forward together? How are those things going to be orchestrated? But then I also followed up and and inspected. I, I, um, there's not any major software release that I wouldn't have personally tested in my account as well before a customer saw it. And I think that that's still true. Like we're, we're upgrading our email designer inside Active Campaign right now. It's going to be amazing. Uh, oh, I can't wait! <laughs> and it's an early access, but you can you you can you better believe I was one of the first uh, early access users of that software because and, and frankly, I expect everyone involved in that project project to be hands on with with the software to make sure they understand how it's working. Yeah, absolutely. But to pick up on that, so quick question before I dig into this. Would you consider yourself a, a leader who needs a high level of control? No. Um, okay. No, in fact, my preference is not to have to, like, I don't like following up with all the things, right? Like, yeah. It, it, uh, and in fact, the best thing that I've done to help the organization is to recognize that, like, 
one of the things I do not have time for is to chase status through the organization. Yes. And yet I need status to be surfaced through the organization. Yes. You know, I think it's easy. I've been in the same position where we we used to have this scenario and this was years ago, earlier in my career, every week they would send out the spreadsheet. And it was like, this was back in the days before like Google sheets was really a thing. We'd send out this uh, Excel spreadsheet and I would have to fill it out with like our, our status updates for my team. And then I would turn it in. And then the following week, probably a third of the time, my edits from the prior week were missing because somebody would have overwritten them. It was a yes. really bad process, right? Yes. And so if it was that inconsistent, it was probably a worthless exercise for the organization. And yet the executive team at the time needed that detail so that they yes. could understand what was really going on. And yeah. so I, I can only imagine their frustration with the process, given how I experienced it. I started a, a group. We, we started, I did not have an operations team for technology and product at Active Campaign for, for, for like just supporting our group. We had ops, of course, across the business, but we did not have like a, a formalized technical program management function. Mm-hmm. We formalized that last year. And it was one of the best things that we did because th- that's what they focus on is clarity of communication, ensuring that what we put in place is streamlined. Um, you know, I always, I always kind of challenge and say, all right, that's amazing. We added a process. Where's the process, the kill process, right? Because the last thing I want is like everybody to be filling out 20 documents every week and, and nobody doing any work. Right, right. right. That's what we're trying to get to. Yeah. Um, the status yeah. piece should be like the easiest part of the process because it's, I love the way you put it. Like, I will not chase status. I think that needs to be the mantra of every manager and with techno technology, what it is with frankly, what active campaign is. Cause inside of my business, we actually use active campaign for light project management to track our, to track process and client engagement and things like that, because our systems aren't that complex for delivering coaching, but it is multi-step and right. at any given point, I or any of my colleagues should be able to see where anyone else is on a process, on a process or a project, because it's, it's checked off. It's, it's updated. That, that's really helpful because there's, you know, there's what, the reason I asked you that question, do you have a high need for control? There's a lot of leaders that become successful because they're very thorough because they have a high need for control. And there's a lot of leaders that become successful because they are fantastic at delegating and no, have kind of an intuitive nature about what to delegate, when to follow up, what to delegate and what doesn't need followed up on and, you know, everywhere in between. And I am certainly a leader that has a very high need for control in all areas of my life. I would not recommend it. It's reflective of my Enneagram style that I'm working through, yada, yada, yada. Right. But it's, it's a core part of me. And in my research into like, okay, how, as a leader of a company, how can I balance that? Right. Like, the things that I do find important because I am the brand, right? But when you interact with Stephanie Krevins and company, people are responsible for delivering the brand, not the Stephanie. And you're allowed to bring your own flavor to it. And one of the quotes that I read in my research, and forgive me because I forget the the person who provided it now, but he said, the design is the experience, details are the design. So if you're going to deliver a consistent experience, you have to be able to deliver the details consistently, which means as the leader with the name on the brand, I get to decide the details. And so I'm with you on the, you know, what you said around live in the details. I'm with you a hundred percent. 
how do you, I'm just curious on your take on this. How do you reconcile that with delegation control and not doing all of the work, but being able to see all of the work? Yeah, that's, I think that's a great question. So if you, well, first off, it's not even possible for me to do all of the work, even to try to no. do the goals, right? So no. let's be very clear. So no. I, have a, I have a product organization. I have a, an engineering organization. I have the IT department. I support internal systems. You know, it's a, there's a lot. And so to me, the, the concept of delegation is not even not, not even optional. Like there, there's zero chance that I have the skills necessary or, or across a variety, almost all those roles, right? And so, and I am not the expert and the subject matter expert. And yet it is my job uh, to kind of look across the work and understand, okay, uh, this project is very important and it's coming close to the goal line. And yet one of the questions I like to ask teams is, you know, do you have what you need to be successful uh, is there anything stopping you or th- what are you worried about? And I think often when you start kind of asking those questions and, and then go a little bit further and ask like, well, why and why is that a problem? And, and why is that important to do? And, you know, just kind of keep asking the whys. Yes. You will find areas where as a leader, that's where your value comes in, right? Where it's like team A is doing a fantastic job executing on the things that team A knows that they can execute on. Team A may have a dependency on some other team in the organization. They may have something that they think they need. They may not be getting the support that they need and they're aware of it and they're tracking it as a risk and they're acknowledging it, but yet it's not moving forward. And so they need some help. And and the reason I like to to engage more directly is because then you can ask the question of, you can ask those questions and kind of root out the hidden conflict within your organization. And it can be a conflict in priority. Uh, again, th- these are not like negative feelings of people like being roadblocks. I'm not trying. No one shows up. At least I hope not. No one shows up in the morning and says, "I'm going to be a roadblock to progress." Yeah. Nobody well, unfortunately, according to Gallup, you do have a certain percentage of your workforce I'm, that is actively disengaged. But we'll talk well, about them later. Not today. <laughs> yeah, and I'm very aware of that as well. And that, <laughs> but uh, I love your positive attitude, Tony. Keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You can't optimize yeah. for them. I think, you know, and, and even, even if you do run into that, like, why are they not engaged? Do they not That's understand right. how important their work is? Is there, um, you know, th- that, that is a temporary condition, I think, in most, mo- for most people. People say I look at the world through rose-colored glasses and I, I stay focused on the positive too much. But I think that the reality is there's always more good than bad. You just have to choose Ab- to see it. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and we're all human. So like where, if, if I were really like getting, it's easy to find a reason to get frustrated with each other. It's a lot harder to find a reason to understand each other. And I think that's where people often stop at the, I'm frustrated and, and they don't go further and say, well, but why am I frustrated? And, and what, what are they experiencing? And what, why is it that they're not turning server X, Y, Z on, right? Like, yes, yes. You really think that, I mean, they, of course they have the skills to do it. Why do you think they're not doing it? Then you go talk to this team. They're like, well, we didn't realize the project was due on that date. Ah, so now we're starting to identify a communication issue, right? Just so- missed expectations is what like virtually all conflict is, is misstated, misheard, misunderstood expectations. And as a leader, I think it's easy for me to say, well, it was clearly in the plan that it was going to be launching in January, right? And yet, am I really leading if, I, if I'm just pointing out the obvious? Like, no, because I need to be involved in the, in the dialogue. And I think that if you're not winning the day, 
planning planning for uh, a future is really just a fantasy. Like it's not gonna, it's never gonna happen. So um, to me, you've got to you've got to start there. As those days start taking care of themselves, as the organization starts kind of tuning itself, your role as a leader really changes. And and I, I went to this beautiful training uh, years ago where it was a conductor and I forget his name, uh, but he's a leadership trainer, but he's also a world famous conductor. Yes. And are you familiar with this? Yes, I am. Yeah, please, please go on. It's it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, so we got to stand inside this orchestra, inside an orchestra. He had just met the orchestra like that day. And so they had no real uh, rapport, but when he was up there doing his conducting, it was beautiful, right? It sounded amazing. And then he said, and then he, he said, now let me show you different leadership styles. And then there was one where he was like, really, you know, going like this and, and really trying, putting his energy into it and being very abrupt. And the orchestra didn't sound as good. Um, and then he was just kind of doing his own thing and he sounded even worse, which was like, kind of, he was just sharing like different ways leaders can, can influence. If you're in tune with what's happening, you make subtle adjustments within your organization. You're, you're, you're actually improving the organization. Yes. You are trying to control everything. You're causing utter chaos and, and it's not going to work very well. Yes. Um, and, and by the way, in, in the orchestra is filled with professionals who want to be there. They're highly engaged. That's also part of it. You've got to build the right team, right? The yes. People, of course. Uh, but then he did something even more fascinating. He stepped aside and let the orchestra play without any conductor. And they actually sounded better than when you know, he was up there forcibly trying to, you know, get something out of everyone. Yes. And the reason that that happened was that there was this informal communication structure that's very obvious in, in something like an orchestra where the people look at the first chair violin, uh, you know, the cello looks at the, and keys off of this person, this person keys off of this person. And so they yes. all kind of learn and your organization does the same thing. Yes. Uh, people tune off of each other and they, and they go off of each other's lead. And so in many cases, I think leaders overestimate their, their, their impact, you know, and I think that we're, we're not, uh, I'm not doing the work. I'm not doing, I, I'm very aware of the fact the most important person in the room is, is rarely ever me, almost never, right? It's like, no, and yet our role as leaders is to kind of look across like, well, how are we all arriving and showing up and are there adjustments and things that we need to do? Mm-hmm. And then I think, but if we don't even know what music we're going to play that day, you know, that's definitively on me. So we need, yes. to, we need to get everyone aligned to understand what is the music we're trying to play? What's next? What's next? That's that roadmap. And, and I just think it, it's just a really beautiful uh, example of what, is, what, what really can we influence? And I think that to me, it's all about getting people to talk, having the right understanding of where we're going, hopefully sharing in our mission and understanding why this is so important to our customers or to our business or to um, to ourselves as a, as a company, if we're doing an internal project. No, I agree. You know, it's, um, when I come into an organization to work on a change management issue, organizational level, enterprise level, or even individual level, I'm of the opinion that we need to start with change with those informal leaders, you know, Mm -hmm. the first violin of the group, the one that holds more informal power, not based on their title because that's actually, those are actually the people that facilitate change faster than the person with the biggest title. For those who want to deny their own power or play the victim in a change role, they're going to look to 
the C-suite and say, oh, well, the executive level is not doing enough. So-and-so is not doing enough. You're a really good excuse to abandon for that individual to abandon what they think they can accomplish. Never acceptable because we all have way more leadership than we, than we believe we do in any one given moment. But that is such a powerful example of what is really happening on a team, regardless of the conductors there, whether or not the executive sponsors it or not. And the research is coming out and has been out that mid-level leaders actually impact more change than the C-suite does. Of course, you need executive sponsorship. Of course, we need, you know, Tony to come to the kickoff every quarter or every, the start of every six weeks and say, Hey guys, like you got to keep going. These are our expectations. Here's the music you're going to play together. And it's that mid-level leader. It's the first violin, the first trumpet, the first flutist, flautist, flutist, whatever that is. They're the ones that really coordinate to make sure their teams are playing the right music. That's how it happens. I'm, 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 I'm glad you said that because I think that that's also often missed. Like, why is it that changing a leader changes an outcome? Hmm. You know? and, and, hmm. and so like, and, and generally like I, my philosophy is not to just come in and, and I don't even know if I do it right. Cause I don't do this very often. I, I tend to stay at companies for a long period of time and, and yeah. uh, not just jump. And so I don't, I don't know that I've done a great job of like, how do you come in and assume leadership in an existing team? Like there's always a transition phase. Um, and you want to get through that as quickly as possible and identify the folks that are there to help you really drive change. Yes. Some leaders I've, I've worked with and observed will come in and just make wholesale changes out of the gate. They'll just change the whole leadership team and bring in their team. I tend to have more belief, especially when you're joining a successful team. Like I joined an active campaign, highly successful organization. So you really want to not, in my opinion, not do that only because like they're doing some pretty amazing things. So then it's a matter of like helping well, how do we get to the next level? Yes. Um, you know, and how do we, and yes, we are going to change the culture. Like that is, that is going to happen um, in some areas, right? Like we're going to, we're going to move to on-call. We're going to adopt service ownership. We're going to, we're going to start, you know, just kind of raising the bar over time because our customers are going to raise the bar on us. And so we have to be prepared for that. And, mm-hmm. and our, our own, our own team's going to grow. Right. And so all of a sudden you're going to have more voices and if we don't start like getting more organized and more formal, we're going to have a real problem when there's a hundred people here all raising their hand, uh, bringing their opinion to the table. So um, yes. you know, we need to, we need to start getting ahead of that. But it is a question. Like I, I, I have made that mistake in the past where I've not been seeing the results uh, and almost it's not, I, I, I love, uh, I love some of the philosophies out there and I wouldn't say that I'm ruinous, I'm ruinously empathetic. Uh, you know, if you're thinking of <laughs> radical candor, yes, um, yes. I don't, I don't believe so. Um, and yet I do know I've, I've waited too long to replace a leader mm. uh, that was just simply not, uh, not on board, you know, cause it, what ends up happening is that's a great example where, how do I know? Cause then you follow up and you look at the work and then you're like, well, wait a minute, this is not in alignment with what we just discussed, you know, a week ago or two weeks ago, what's going on. Yes. And so occasionally you do have to swap a leader. And, and you're right. Like you can hear that even for, and I don't know how people react to this when I say this, but to your point, like there's, you can always find a reason that you don't have something that you need to be successful. Oh, and absolutely. You, and yes, you, you can take an excuse if you want it. Absolutely. You can. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, yeah. product didn't give me this or design didn't get this done, or I don't have this. And it's like, Okay, and if you had that, how would it, how would that change, right? Like, and yeah. and so, and when you say they this person 
person didn't do something, what is it you need done? And do you have the skills to, to, to try to do it? And I think that because that's the X factor to me and people that are highly successful and folks that are inconsistently successful. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Every executive that I talk to on this podcast as clients in my life in general, I will tell you, I am, I'm of the opinion that the number one reason they are successful is because they have learned to take ownership over the right pieces of their work that they can take ownership, accountability, responsibility for. And they have learned those peer-to-peer influence skills to get what they need when they need it or kick in the hard work when they need to, because another colleague dropped the ball, they don't need to go to their boss and say, well, I didn't do it because Susie over in accounting didn't get me what I needed in time. They figure out how to affect Susie earlier in the process. So they have what they need to be successful and not blame Susie at the end. And, you know, in the process, you don't have to throw Susie under the bus. You also don't have to give her praise when her praise isn't due, but the most successful leaders learn those influence skills at a peer-to-peer level much earlier and rise to the top of the organization much faster because of it. So then when you have the title, you already have the influence skills in place to make even faster changes happen uh, more frequently. You're not thinking, oh, well, now that I have a C in my title, now I can do those things. Now people will do what I say they will. It still doesn't work at your level. They still don't do what you tell them to do just because your title is bigger than theirs. That's like the secret to all of this. Yeah, it does it does not matter. It's no, a, it doesn't. No, no. And, and you've always, uh, we talk a lot about like owning your 100%, like with the con- conscious leadership. And, and there, there is zero chance I could show up in, in our executive weekly meeting and say, you know, if only, you know, so-and-so did this, I would, you know, we would have been successful. That it doesn't, that doesn't work. It's like, well, hold on. Well, but what did you do to influence that outcome? Um, you know, and it always goes right back. And, you know, and I think that you're right. That's true of any role though. Yeah. And, you know, if you, if you are saying, and, and there are some times where you legitimately need something, you know, and, and yet those times are probably not as, as often as, as, you could say you needed something. Else. That's right. That, that, that is what, what drives, I think, success and, and outside success is people being able to push through, push through that adversity that they face and find a path anyways, because the reality is the, the question of my dad, actually, uh, from, when I, from my earliest days would ask me, Tony is, because uh, I'd say, well, dad, that's impossible. Uh, and he would say, well, when you say it's impossible, do you mean that nobody could do it? or that you're just not sure what to do to get there. And, and he goes, cause if you can think of somebody who could do it and almost always, I can think of someone like, Oh, if only they were here, they'd probably be able to solve this problem that I'm facing. Yes. Then do something, call that person and ask their advice or think about what they might do, what step yes. they start by taking and then just go do it and see what happens. And it is amazing how many times I you run into these things where, you don't have no idea how you're going to move forward. And yet just by getting started and, and agreeing to yourself within yourself and with your team that we are going to move forward, that it is possible. Just agreeing that something's possible generally means it's going to be possible. Like it, I think that's really the hardest part. If you don't believe that it's possible, whenever I have a leader that, that I've worked with, that tells me that, that this is not possible and there's no path. If I can't move them off that perspective, I know I need to find somebody who believes it is possible because that's right. They, ha- they cannot lead if they, if they do not see the possibility um, and if they think too, too finitely. 
in those situations. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. I mean, there's such a great self-coaching question in there, right? If I believe it's possible, who can I go to, to ask for advice to see how they would approach it or how would they approach it? I mean, that's, mm, yeah, that's such great self-coaching to, to move forward when we feel stuck or even, you know, saying to yourself, okay, even if that person did turn X, Y, Z in on time, so I could do my part, what would I do then? Chances are you could probably do 75% of those tasks now, even though that other person didn't do their part. Go, do, make it happen. All right, I'm going to ask you one last question and then I'm going to let you back to changing your part of the world over there at Active Campaign. What do you want mid level leaders to know about how they can best create support alignment in their part of the organization? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that. One, what you yourself have to be engaged in, in, in understanding, um, you know, and so I think that's part of part of the key of what we're trying to do with our six week cycle is just give our leaders that level, that ability to even understand um, where we're trying to go and why. I think that things are going to change. Business changes. We're in a we're in a competitive world. You have to you have to receive those things well, and I think that your job as a leader is to make sure that you understand why things are changing and you convey that in a positive way to your team. I think the the single most destructive thing you could do is to go to your team and say, Oh my gosh, they're changing their mind again. It's like now your team's demoralized, right? Like now you've ruined it. It's like, Hey, hold on. We're doing some amazing work. And there's this really cool opportunity that, that just came our way. I think we can do it. You know, I think that you're going to work on the same thing tomorrow, regardless um, and yet yeah. in one situation, your team's going to have low morale and the other, they're going to be excited to be doing something cool. And so I think that, yeah. and I, I don't look at it as like mid, mid-level management or any of that stuff. I think like you're a leader um, and, and don't ever forget that. I don't think it really matters if you're leading a small team or a large team or teams of teams or entire departments or, or, or it doesn't matter. Yep. You're a leader. And so in order to be effective as a leader, you've got to believe that it's possible. You've got to... Mm. You've got to, even if you don't know how you're going to do it, you've got to have, you've got to have faith that it is possible yep. and your team can do it. And, and if, and if you don't, you got to go find that faith or you're going to be an ineffective leader over time. Yes. Oh, genius, genius, Tony. I love that. I love that so much. Tony, thank you so much for spending your time and your expertise and your wisdom with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. So fantastic to speak with you. And uh, always love talking to Active Campaign customers. So yes, really so excited. Yeah. yeah, it was secretly selfish. I love everything Active Campaign. So I was like, oh, I get to talk to Tony. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so love much. Love it. Thank you. Bye. All right, friend. That is my conversation with the one and only Tony Newcomb. Isn't he such a humble? kind, generous spirit um, of a leader. I just so enjoyed listening and learning from him. You know, full disclosure, in case you didn't pick it up there, I am an active campaign customer. I use it for my business. I do believe in it. It's been very beneficial and I'm very grateful for what they've built and how they've built it. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to learn more about what's happening behind the scenes that makes them so unbelievably successful. I want to share with you my top takeaways, you know, my top 20% that's going to have 80% of the impact after we get off the line here. Um, these are the lessons that I hope stick with you, but wherever you're listening or watching in, would you share yours? Because we can learn from you too. So 
here are some of my great lessons from our conversation. The, the first thing I wrote down is when Tony said at the very beginning, alignment happens easily when it's informal, right? When we're all sitting together in one big room or one small room when you're first starting out and you can say, hey, Joe over there, come over here, let's brainstorm on this together. Alignment does not happen quickly or easily or without intentionality when you grow to 50, 100, 1,000 people. A leader's job is to be very strategic about that alignment so that execution happens much more smoothly. Friends, if you want another resource on this, there's a great book called The Work for Leaders. You can find it wherever books are sold, but it talks about some really solid practices around leaders setting a vision, creating alignment, and then executing. And you are a leader regardless of your title. We have leaders at every single level. Get your hands on that book. It's been a game changer for me personally, within my company and within my clients' companies. I think there's just so much rich knowledge to be gained from understanding a process of vision, alignment, execution, not here's the vision, go work on it, which is what too many of our leaders do. You know, the other thing that Tony said that was really counterintuitive, um, I think, to a lot of the current day leadership language is that the details matter and leaders need to live in the details. Now, that does not mean that you control all the details. It does not mean that you do all of the details or all of the work. It means you have an understanding of all these different signals, all these different data points coming in so that you can help influence them. So you can help set the priority for your team in terms of what to react to, what not to react, react to. Tony believed very strongly that one of his key, I guess, delivers a value as a leader, I guess his value prop as a leader, if you will, is his ability to see all the details and help his team prioritize those and integrate those into the strategy. And finally, one of the last questions that we talked about at the end was a really, really powerful self-coaching question, right? If you don't know what to do, who does? Who's on your personal board of directors, either in your mind or in real life? Who do you go to to ask for their advice when you feel stuck? You need to believe that what you're trying to accomplish is possible. How do you make it possible? So when you feel stuck, ask advice from those who believe that it is possible. And this last point that I'll leave you on, I just, I, I just love it so much. And I think we need to take more ownership as leaders for making sure that we are engaged in the possibilities. We believe in the possibilities and we take that to our teams because our teams pick up on the energy. Whether or not you truly believe if your corporate goals, your company goals are actually possible, energetically, you're communicating whether or not you believe that is true or not. Whatever your words say, make sure your energy and your words align that what you and your team are being asked to do you actually believe it is possible. If you can't engage yourself in those goals, you need to go find a place where you can. If you're having trouble getting on board with those goals that your company has set, ask your manager for help, for more context, for advice. If you're feeling stuck, seek his or her counsel so that you can engage yourself in the work. It is your job as a leader to engage yourself in your work. All right, my friends, now let's get on with the most impactful, important work that's actually going to help us see new results in our teams and our businesses. And I'll see you next time.